it's very easy just to say we need digital and then not really get under the skin of, well, why? Mark Brayton has had a stellar career in marketing across several global brands, especially in the financial services sector. Personally, having worked with so many marketers and marketing leaders over the years, I loved hearing Mark's passion and focus on leadership, which I think is vital in delivering great campaigns, programs, and in building your teams. John Maxwell says everything rises and falls in leadership. And whether you agree with this statement or not, the role of leadership in marketing and in organizational culture is paramount. There's so much richness in this episode around topics like digital transformation, social media, building teams, and digital engagement that there's something here for everyone. So sit back and enjoy this episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People podcast uh, with some wonderful people. We have uh, Mark Brayton with us today, which is really, really exciting, Nationwide Building Society. Mark is a great guy and looking forward to having a chat with him. And talking to great guys, also have Phil Jones, as always. How are you, Phil? I'm fine, thank you. It's very warm here in Bromley. Warmer in Bromley than Portugal, where you were last week. Being serious, yes, it, it is actually warmer <laughs> really? than it was in Portugal. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, you're looking, you're looking good, looking nice and tanned. Mark, it's great to have you as a guest and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Really nice to see you both. Awesome. So Phil's going to kick off with our, the first question we ask all of our guests. Who would you want to be stuck in a lift with? Oh, and why? goodness. Ease me in gently on this chat. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I mean, I, I love, I'm really sort of into leadership, reading about leadership. I'm also really massive, as you know, Phil. Uh, um, I'm a huge sports fan as well. Uh, and I sort of really like the, the crossover between the two disciplines. So, you know, leadership, sport, how one can play into the other, how you can learn from one of those sort of disciplines and then bring it back into the, the world of work. So I think I'd probably pick, you know, what? I'd probably pick Clive Woodward, I think is who I would go for. Oh. Yeah. I would go for that. Um, just to hear about his transition from what was sort of the world of work, then into obviously, um, well, professional rugby player, world of work back into coaching and then obviously he did the sort of cross rugby into football discipline bit and and not least the sort of the pinnacle, you know, won the World Cup for England and rugby, as you know, Phil, is, is a big passion area for me. So I think yeah. I'd sort of I'd I'd bore poor Clive silly for a long time asking lots of questions, I think. <laughs> well, do you know what? I'm now gonna try my hardest to get him invited to Sports Punch so that he can be on your table. Oh, wow, wonderful. Oh, Phil, Thank how's you. this for an idea? Could we get Clive Woodward as a podcast guest and get Mark on as oh, a co-host? Yeah. There we go. Fantastic. Special Fantastic. host, Mark Brayton. Fantastic. Oh, my, how's this for an idea, Mark? <laughs> How about uh, Clive Woodward and Eddie Jones in a lift together? I reckon that would be quite an explosive lift. That would be phenomenal, and I'd, yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be phenomenal and hugely interesting. You might you might regret that now, Phil, but that that's just an honest view. His uh, you know what he's achieved is phenomenal. So yeah, it'd be that'd be wonderful. Right, well, actually, I my daughter used to work at the Institute of Directors, 
and he was one of the guest speakers okay. at their annual forum. And I, I went to that one, and he was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Some of the stuff, the incremental increases of one second here and yeah. tiny little things that they did that yeah. made the difference. It was a fantastic interview. So I'm going to do my best on that front. I'm going to Thank ask you. my mate Bill Sweeney to see if he can pull <laughs> that one off for us. Thank you very much. So, Mark, uh, for those who don't know you, uh, can you please explain a little bit about your early life and how you came to be marketing director at Nationwide? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, um, well, I'd sort of originate from the Lake District. I grew up in a small village just on the on the edge of the Lake District. Um, uh, huge sort of fan of school and learning, but huge fan of being in the outdoors, sport. Played a heck of a lot of rugby football anything that um could get me out in the open the beautiful lake district open air really was was always um sort of top of my interest areas uh and my uh my dad ran a um an agricultural retailer in the sort of northwest of england and southwest of scotland and i sort of i guess my first experience and love of business was was in that retail space because i used to go and help and work on in in one of the stores that was in his business on a Saturday you know so that sort of right in front of the customers running a store you know having quite a bit of responsibility even at an early age and then I did other things in in you know within that same business you'd be pleased to know this is probably something you don't know Phil but I one stage I had to get my forklift truck driving test to uh, <laughs> uh because I was doing all the stuff in the distribution of the big um uh, the big animal feed distribution and all that kind of stuff. So, so, but it just, I just loved that, you know, it was pr principally ag agricultural. So farmers and, um, an equestrian, so horse owners and things. And, but I just loved the sort of direct engagement conversations that you could have. And as I sort of went through school and sort of tried my hardest, um, uh, with the aim of going to university, um, the, the sort of that, that that spirit of retail was something that was right apparent all the way through and actually then moving on to university I did a retail like a business retail degree at Loughborough University and obviously that was a great business skill and had a fantastic four years uh one year was a sandwich placement I'll come to that in a moment but the logic of that was very much you know trying to foster that deeper engagement around my experience of retail. I think at the time, I mean, this, this shows how long ago it was, um, but I think that university course was sponsored by CNA, I believe, at, at, one, one, at one stage. So some of those brands that in, certainly in the UK no longer no longer as parent as they were. But, but it, 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 again, it gave me that full rounded business skills sort of study. And then I did my third year industrial year at Marks and Spencer's on there, like a subgraduate program. And what I loved about that is I got the experience of running a big store. I was in Cambridge running a quite, quite a big menswear department. And again, right at the coal face of the sort of roll your sleeves up, leading teams of people that, um, you know, with a sort of a sales and commercial discipline that sat behind it, but, but right in the, the sort of coal face of direct engagement with customers, loved that. And then I went and worked in Baker Street in London and did a load of stuff around the product and pricing departments as a work through. So that was, that was fabulous and the, the sort of richness that gave. And actually, it was just at the time, you'll probably remember just at the time when I don't think there's anything to do with, with my contribution in the industrial placement year, Phil, but it was just at the time that Marks and Spencer <laughs> were going through quite a tricky period. 
and they pulled their graduate program. And that was a real disappointment for me because I was, I was going to sort of complete that after I left university. So it sort of was a start again moment a little bit for me. It was like, well, well if that program no longer exists, what, what, what do I look at now? And actually, there were other retail organizations that I looked at. But the graduate program that attracted me most when I was at university was, was, was Barclays. And when, if you'd say to me, like, I mean, if you'd said to me sort of 25 years ago, you work for a bank or a, a financial services organization, I'd... I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to get my head around that. But the logic um, from when they they came and had the conversations with us all at Loughborough was, you know, we're a retailer first that, that just happens to retail within financial services. And that, that logic, again, really sort of struck a chord with me because that was a different way of thinking. And then, so I was successful enough to get onto the Barclays graduate program. And then I just had a phenomenal time there over what was eventually Phil 18 years um you know and with with the aim at that stage that you know ultimately the the sort of the the north star I guess was a marketing I, want, I would love to be in marketing director so I was able to both from a sort of program-led approach that they do for the graduates but also from my own volition after the graduate program just keep changing up my experiences doing different things and I guess it's sort of in my mind, it was condensed down into three parts, that 18 years. The first part was all about sort of my functional discipline and learning as many of the different aspects across marketing from CRM to insight to brands to, um, you know, I was even doing some of the research and, and kind of program activity to, to look at where we should be taking our research programs globally. And, you know, so there's a real richness of, of sort of experience. And that was that first stage, that first block of the career was all about building my marketing knowledge, I guess. Then um, the roles that I started to um, move into had leadership responsibilities. So that sort of second phase was all about two bits, really. One was really starting to embrace leadership for the first time and with a bit more scale. And I found two things with that. One is I, I hugely enjoyed challenging and testing myself in those leadership environments. And and secondly, you know, I think I did okay at that. You know, I, I seem to get the best out of people as we work through. And, you know, I'm still in touch with many of the teams that I've worked with over that time. So so that that second phase was about leadership, but it was also about innovation and change. And, and that's certainly a theme for me. So I sort of most motivated when I'm sort of told, well, we've tried that before and we can't do it or you know, um, won't be able to do that because of X. I think that's the kind of challenges that I like. So I started to lead innovation teams within marketing, big transformational agendas around sort of content marketing, where we sort of created a, a, a department from scratch and aggregated a whole publishing strategy around that. So so that notion of changing things up, you know, being on the, the, the leading edge of, of marketing innovation is something that sort of along with the leadership notified that second tranche of time there and then the third bit was the latter end of the 18 years where it was the full sort of UK marketing director responsibilities so it was the, the full sort of scale leadership capabilities leading teams of leaders um, trying to sort of understand how we could become much more focused around our marketing strategy start to deliver you know some great moments for our our, our customers and our clients at the time and and that bit was ultimately where you know I'd sort of 
without really sort of acknowledging it, I'd sort of reached that North Star position and became the UK, UK marketing director of the Barclays UK Bank, as was um, post the ring fencing activities. So yeah, 18 years went in a heartbeat. I, I can't tell you how quickly they went, and I loved every minute of it. The back end of 2018, uh, we were going through quite a big change organization, again, post the sort of ring fencing changes and activities around structure. And I just sort of felt that after 18 years, I just turned 40. So I was, I don't know, maybe I was having some kind of early midlife crisis at that point. Uh, <laughs> but um, I just decided at that point, you know, I wanted to go and experience something different. I'd, I'd only been at the one company, you know, aside from the 12 months at M&S, of course, but I'd only really worked at that, at that company. I just wanted to experience different cultures, different ways of working across the organizations that um had some exposure to so i decided after sort of looking at other role opportunities at similar financial services organizations with different brands above their doors um I, I actually decided to go a different way and i set up on my own for a bit and um focused on marketing leadership and business development consultancy and and but specifically looked to work with sort of new to uk businesses and high growth businesses startups just so that i could you know, any one day, for example, I could be helping develop a brand around a particular organization. And then the day after I could be speaking to investors about what the, you know, so it was just, it was just a phenomenal sort of difference of experience for me. And it was a real learning period over what was relatively short period of time. Then uh, this dreadful thing, obviously called the pandemic hit. Um, and, um, and I, I thought at that stage, you know, whilst I was absolutely loving all of the opportunities that I was getting from the consultancy there was an opportunity um, arrived which I was really interested in to become the marketing and digital director on an interim basis at, at Yorkshire Building Society and it was a real transformation agenda so it was real you know first time we were bringing marketing and digital together there was a real opportunity for change and transformation there was a real focus around how we needed um, that that department to be a growth engine within the organization and um, and I um, and it was hard because, you know, it was at the period where we were all just getting to grips with what COVID and the pandemic meant. So there was a very different way of working and trying to get that change into an organization in that environment was was really challenging. But the rewards of doing so were so much greater. And, you know, in, really enjoyed working with the leadership team there, uh, what was 18 months, um, and delivered some fantastic stuff. You know, our first mobile app, we started, to, we relaunched the brand in terms of what the brand stood for we unlocked a, a much more rhythmic performance marketing agenda there so you know some real 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 terrific stuff to look back on and then was approached about the opportunity here at nationwide building society and at the back end of last year to start this january so i've only been here seven months or so um uh and again you know, the brief is to come in and lead uh, the marketing function through what is understandably a period of change. But, you know, what a phenomenal organization this is, you know, um, a real purpose-led organization with mutuality and the notion of building societies a model right at its heart. And the opportunities that have come about even in the seven months and the members that uh, of the team that I'm working with day in, day out are bringing us into lots of new exciting spaces and I'm, th I'm thoroughly enjoying it so that's probably probably more than you 
asked for, Phil, really. That's a bit of a canter of where I started and where I'm at now. You mentioned that you started out on the graduate yeah. scheme. How, how, how important do you think those graduate schemes are for people as, as they're looking now, leaving university? That's a good question, yeah. Would you recommend that? I massively recommend them. And, and in a way, Phil, I'd say the word graduate is less important than it used to be. I mean, I, I don't, I, that, that doesn't for one minute think that sort of university and 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 becoming a graduate isn't important but I, I think that what the program gave me the sort of badge over that was a graduate development program I think development programs full stop are just what we need to continue to support um, particularly our less experienced team members with because what that gave me was a real orientation of the organization with support but it gave us the opportunity to find our way, which bits really work and resonate for us, which bits really drive an interest level that's, you know, starting to ignite, a, um, you know, a, a real bit of passion within an individual. And then people can shape careers around that rather than going into job A and then sort of thinking, well, where do I get out of job A to go to job B? I think the support it gives you from a sort of a bringing programs and individuals together the development side of that and just the patience to try things and see how we go I think they've never been more important I think whether that's sort of subgraduate whether that's just school leavers whether that's graduate program whether that's post whatever that word is before the thing about development programs I think have never been more important Mark there's like some running themes going through when you were talking about your career there and leadership is definitely a theme Mm -hmm. we'll come on to that a bit later but you kind of you dipped into innovation content digital transformation you can see that's you know you know a real key part of your of your journey Now, big question, but let's try and summarize it into a couple of points because I'd love to talk to you about this all day. But um, (laughs) with with those that digital journey you've been on, you know, in in Barclays and Yorkshire Building Society, and where you're at Mm -hmm. now in Nationwide, what have been? What do you consider some of those keys when sort of transforming a brand through digital? Do you know, Dan? It's it's a really good question. It's actually a question I get asked a lot because right, having having done that now in a number of organisations. I guess the question is sometimes are there consistencies between it and what can you learn? But I think the bit for me is because it's very easy for all organizations, whatever their discipline is, uh, or, you know, functionally, no, not even FS, retails, whatever. It's very easy just to say we need digital and then not really get under the skin of, well, why do we need digital? So I think sort of old-fashioned stuff this but in a modern this you know in a modern sort of execution if i think everybody every organization first off before saying let's commit to that digital program needs to be super clear on the objectives right so is what's the objective that sits behind a digital transformation is that is that increased um, customer experience is that choice is that access is that sort of increased engagement or is it speed? Well, what is it? You know, and, and, and I think if an organization is super clear around what the sort of problem statement today is and what part of digital fix is that, then I think that no matter which organization you're in and, you know, a, a startup with three people or less in there or, or a large blue chip organization, everyone needs to start with that as a thought would be my challenge. The other bit, Dan, and this will I'll no doubt chime, I think, with you is we need to be 
really, really clear. We can sometimes, and I've, I've been guilty of this in the past, we can get infatuated with the tech and forget about what the customer, in our case at Nationwide, the member right. needs are. So rather than sort of going after the next shiny digital toy, what is the, what's, what are the member needs that we could aid and support and enhance through digital? And then, therefore, how do we shape things around that? So it's the customer need, not the technology, is the hierarchy in my, in my mind in a digital transformation agenda. Yeah, brilliant. And then maybe the third one I would, I would um, bring in is that notion of, and this is more resonant in the organization I'm in today, is deliver in a way that brings out your purpose still through a digital execution and through a digital transformation program. So what do I mean by that? So, and Bark is very good at this actually in my time there as well. Ashok Faswani, who was an incredible CEO at the time at, um, at Barclays, had this notion of never leaving, you know, digital, digital transformation being a really big change in many people's lives and we had a social objective therefore a societal objective to never leave anyone behind through that transformation so living out an organization's purpose in how we then encourage people to adopt engage with that in a way that they feel is helpful and appropriate is the third bit so organizations playing out their purpose as part of that would be the third one i might i might just touch on there dan love that and i think it was steve jobs i think you said you start with the customer experience and work backwards to the technology and i think it's yeah. absolutely spot yeah. on on point two and point three um i'm going to take that as a soundbite and send it to a lot of my clients <laughs> because i think sometimes <laughs> okay. i think sometimes it's very easy to look at digital just as the shiny new tool as you said and without realizing that yeah. it's yeah. just the vehicle to deliver purpose or to solve a problem. So I think that's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Now yeah. you've, and I don't want to go there now, but just to kind of, you know, you took Barclays, you know, when you were there in that role, you took them into um, a top 30 social media brand. I mean, so was that, can I just ask a quick, was that solving the problem or that as an engaging with audiences or was that a purpose-driven strategy? Because, I mean, that's no small feet for a bank at, at that time well no how that came about was again we we had a you know i mentioned ashok before but he was a real um innovative and you know, like future thinking ceo so talked a lot about social right. and knew far more than any of us in any of the departments knew about social at that point um and we're sort of frequently challenging to say we need to be we need to have a presence and a voice and an activity in that space. And I guess it was hard at the time because it feels really strange to say this, Dan. But at the time, everyone was adopting it, right? So no one really knew what it was. And we're talking way back. This is 2011, 12 kind of time, right? Um, and at the same time, you can imagine after the this, we were credit crunch and other things that obviously happened within financial service. All of us, all the big organizations, the big banks were going through a degree of reputational reframe and rebuild at the time after what had been a very right. difficult period of, of time. So what I was very cognizant of is that the conversations were taking place around us in social in any case, whether we needed to take the lead to step forward. We were present within them or not and I just felt with the way our sort of purpose was maturing and the values that we stood for organizationally forward and be within the conversation rather than just sort of review it and then worry about it so um what we kind of you know I, I guess the first thing that I did was went and 
sort of asked a lot of questions of agencies at the times you know you know what are the brands that you're working with what they're doing on social what does that look like what does that feel like um and if i'm being honest now and i know dan you know many many agencies uh a huge expert to this but at the time they you know they admittedly were learning right. all of this as well um so one of the things that i actually found quite useful was to create some relationships with together with our agencies but with the social platform owners themselves so you know with with facebook's and twitter's of, of this world and also working with the, the guys at youtube and i asked them just a few basic questions which are you know what are the best brands in the world doing on your platforms and how are they getting the most out of it and we then went through sort of a whole setup piece around what does social media strategy look like you know what what does it what does it need to be so back to those points that i mentioned earlier what what where will it add value to our customers and you know, social servicing become a big component part of our um, social strategies. We move through. We created a an editorial rhythm to make sure that we increased the sort of metabolic rate and velocity of the communications we created. Um, and what we did was we and uh, you know I'll forever sort of hold my hands up with much respect to the leadership team at, at Barkers at the time because. We created a, an openness and transparency. You know, I can remember doing a Facebook Live with um, all of the Exco members and just asking questions. You know, we got people to on social Facebook at the time just to come in and ask questions, and Exco were just answering them in the room in that point. And that felt like a really pivotal moment for us because it felt from a world where organisationally we were a brand that just used to shout stuff out and hope that organize it uh, hope that customers and and clients heard it too listening what what what's on your mind and how can we answer some of those questions so that so that felt huge and to your point you know we we had huge success with social we, we moved from nowhere to i think i think within 18 months we were within europe we were the leading fs brand on wow. social um over a very very short period of time and, and as you said you know, and on a par with some of the non-FS brands. But yeah, it was a, a real journey and something I'm very proud of and the team as well who are still there today and doing a phenomenal job at Barclays. Well, that's a really brave move, having Exco mm. on social media <laughs> asking questions. Yeah, yes, wow. yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. But, you know, as I said, incredible respect for them putting themselves forward All for right, it as well. Brilliant. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. I think, I'm not exactly sure, I think this is our 36th is interview, Dan, or certainly... Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. in the mid-30s somewhere. And wow. two of the people on previous podcasts, one of them, Kate Dale from Sport England, yeah. and one of them, one of them, Patrick Bagley. Oh, yes, know well, no, very well, yeah. Both supported this little football team <laughs> that are tucked away... <laughs> Tucked away where nobody knows a lot Not about so little, them, Phil. Not so little, I don't think. Uh, Sleeping giants. I, I, need you, I need you to tell our, <laughs> our listeners who that football team is that you all support. Yeah. And, uh, and then tell us about a very strange custom that they have at your yeah. teams. So I want to let you guess yeah, that Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, so the team uh, is Carlisle United Football Club, who... Uh, were my first ever experience to watching the professional game. Um, and when you look back at time, and Mr. Bagley and I will happily bore anyone for a long time about this, but um, <laughs> I've had some incredible players playing there. You know, Peter Beardsley was at um, 
at Carl United, you know, those are likes of Eric Gates, Matt Janssen. You know, we've had some we've had, we've had some players over the year, we really have. But it's a phenomenal sort of local town club. Um, it has quite obviously up there because of where it is, has quite a big catchment area. So it always used to get sort of bigger crowds really than what that uh, you know what that sort of level of football would you would think. Um, and it was just a really sort of fond period of my childhood going there. And my brother still lives in the area and is, you know, a real passionate fan of the team as well. Um, so my days now, unfortunately, are more to sort of away day matches and desperately trying to get my two boys to be more Carlo United fans. But um, losing out to some of these bigger clubs, unfortunately, Phil, like... Uh, like like yours and Liverpool and others in that space, but um, so yeah, it was just a really really amazing time, and you know I love I'm really supportive of that sort of you know that that um, National League footballs, uh, you know, and, and and Carl United are a great family club. I think the tradition you're talking about is Olga, is that right? Who's the Olga? Is the or was the 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 fox that they used to carry out before every game? Is that the, is that the one that you? To talk. Well, Mr. Bagley, who is one of my closest mates, told me there's this custom where that's been going 50 years at Carlisle, yeah. where they drag they drag out a stuffed fox yes. onto the ground. So, is that right? That, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think they may have this. Patrick and I show in the fact that we've we've moved probably away from home matches now. I don't think they are doing it anymore. But for a long time, Phil, way back, Patrick's right. Their mascot was a fox. So they used to come out with this live fox. <laughs> Um, yeah, in a lot, a long, long time ago, he was a very friendly fox on a lead, apparently. But wow. it was, you know, so and now it is a, um, it's a sort of cuddly toy fox, or it has been. But I think I don't think they're doing that either anymore. But we were before the, I guess the now more famous foxes. We that was sort of a, a club emblem for us to some extent. So, and it, we, I just thought when I was young, it was called Olga, and I used to just think it was an acronym of of goal to be honest but the, oh, there you go <laughs> it was more it was deep it was deeper Mark, than can that i just say i'm loving everything you're saying but i'm just gonna have to disagree on one point as an arsenal fan i'm gonna have to disagree <laughs> that man united is still a big club <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say let's move on that's all i'm gonna say okay well actually well i'll let you we two argue, argue about that it one all out. the time i'm not even gonna bother but i will say that you your two boys uh you actually coach your kids and rugby and i know that dan yeah. i think dan you do the same with your boys yeah that's that- right yeah my boys uh into rugby cricket and football but my oldest um he's hitting 13 he's in year eight next year so he wants to uh yeah oh, rugby and cricket are his two passions so i'm helping to coach over at maystone rugby club so Oh, yeah. brilliant! Well, we maybe we maybe get something set up because I live in Hertfordshire, in Harpenden now, and we're down at the Harpenden Rugby Club. My son's a little bit younger, both of them. Um, but yeah, we now I now look after the head coach of the under tens. Would you believe there? Um, and if you know, if I thought I was okay on my feet and leading teams of people, leading over 60 kids on a Sunday morning has showed me that I've got a way to go to learn on some of that stuff. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah, well done, you guys. I want to talk about sport, but now I've got to bring it back to some of the, the kind of digital <laughs> and the tech questions we've got. I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about sort of challenger banks because, you know, as we all know, that's been a real sort of sense of disruption within the industry. What's your, yeah. you know, 
what's your thoughts on it? You know, how do they impact the large organizations, say like Nationwide Building Society? Yeah, fair question, a good question. Um, so I guess the first thing to say, because I think the expected answer would be, oh, you know, we're sort of terrified about these um, challenger organizations. But I think, you know, if you think about it from what we're trying to do is is give our members the best possible service and solutions around financial services. You know, as an in, as an industry, all of us, if we sort of if we think about it together across financial services, cha- you know, challenger organisations, and it's actually in whatever sector, yeah, have to be good. Have to be good thing because they raise the bar on experiences, they raise the bar on engagement, they raise the bar on you know what how products are developed and thought of, and there's this huge innovation running through. So, so conceptually, it just has to be a good thing, and. I think it cha- it challenges ourselves and other of the sort of the the bigger incumbents within the sector to raise their game and focus around that in certain areas but it also is interesting because it also shows us where we have really confident points of differentiation that we're really proud of that that will mean that we don't have to you know it's not about chasing the same sort of approach or solution or strategy as as some of those areas and and actually specifically around nationwide so if you think about us as the UK's largest building society there's sort of in my mind you know we're in a really I sort of think of us as a uh, as a as a really big challenger in a way Dan because we have the sort of scale to compete with the big banks but we also have this mutual model that allows us to really differentiate and it allows us to really think about, you know, doing things in a different way. That The model of mutuality and making sure that we're there to serve our members and what we give back goes to our members and not wider stakeholders or shareholders is phenomenally important for us and in terms of where we go in terms of the strategy and the approach that we take. But what I think is really interesting about it is, and I see it somewhat as mine and my team's challenges, we have to remain relevant within that space. So we have to be able to tell uh, and share our story around mutuality and why that's important. At the same time, continue as we are, invest and focus in some of the newer areas like digital, like new product innovation in the spaces. So we are moving and evolving and adopting with the same time, but but remaining really true, a bit like what I said earlier, Dan, really true to our purpose and the model that we're at. So challenges more broadly are a good thing. It doesn't mean that you need to sort of copycat solutions around this. It's actually giving us a bit of confidence that we know who we are, we know what we're here to do and here to serve our members, and we know how we'll go about it. You mentioned there about the target audiences being different. Mm. And just... Touching on that, what, how do you engage with your target audience in in finance using digital? Yeah, I mean, there's loads of ways that we would do that. So we would, for example, we communicate digitally. The majority of our marketing communications are actually digital, Phil, at the moment. We have one-on-one engagements with our members through email and direct contact in these spaces as well. But we're also far more active than you might imagine through social and some of the direct to consumer channels within that space as well. We're really committed to our branch network and I don't think it's an either or and I think we like to think of it as a together and how they bond together to create experience but how to connect at the same time. 
and provide choice to our members. And that's the key, you know, so if there are easy ways to do that within digital and that's, you know, that's preferable by our member group, then we will set up our journeys and our solutions to, to do that in the right way. I think what we'd also do as well is we also use our partnerships, Phil. So we have a partnership with the Deanna Award, which is an anti-bullying campaigning organization, and the FA, who we partner around mutual respect partnerships. And their ways, they're sort of different mediums to, to get messages that we think are hugely important around mutual respect, which obviously ties back to our purpose, out to audiences that naturally our brand wouldn't normally capture or engage with and I think that's where I continue to believe that the sort of notion of partnerships becomes another key and important pillar in that engagement strategy Phil. At Nationwide you you manage over 200 marketers across the UK Uh, do you use agencies at all and if so for what purpose is there a potential for larger engagement from agencies in the finance sector in the future? So first of all, on the leadership side of things, you know, as I said, it's it's always been a passion of mine. The role that I have here is I'm very fortunate to have an incredibly talented leadership team. So you end up sort of leading through leaders and that's the way that works. But we're blessed with some great people here all the way through Nationwide Building Society. And that's just something that I enjoy working with the team on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we, we are experienced and focused around what we do so it's a terrific team but we do and I think always will need support from our agencies you know so whether it be media uh, whether it be creative agency or whether it be some of the more bespoke you know so when we work partnerships what does that look like and agencies will always play a key role in the way in which we activate our marketing activities and and uh, the focus on what we do i think you know when i was at barclays i built an internal studio team that was led by a very talented chap that we brought across from one of our agencies and that worked really well and and getting that sort of focus and mobility and agility internally was hugely beneficial and I loved going through that journey but that didn't preclude the need for us to have agency relationships as well and I think the notion for me is there are things that agencies can and do do and always have done that will be very hard to replicate internally with, within organizations. And I think, therefore, uh, as we call them, sort of strategic partners of ours, as opposed to our agencies, is essential for the future. But do I think organizations, um, agencies need to engage with FS more? I mean, I think there's good engagement at the moment. I think as financial services continues to mature and evolve over the coming years, which undoubtedly it will, I think having agencies that really understand all the component parts about what does modern day engagement look and feel like to financial services organization members and customers, I think organizations that help us think through that and think through the innovation and opportunities that come around that, they're all going to have to step up as we are as an organization ourselves within that space. So the answer is probably doing a good job at the minute, Phil, but yeah, we were going to continue to need help. And I think there is more engagement opportunity in the future too. You've mentioned leadership several times throughout the podcast, and that's also a huge passion of mine and something I love talking about. Just as we're kind of coming to land, I'm going to let you go and crack on with your day job in a minute. But um, (laughs) tell us a little bit, I mean, so you've managed in different leadership environments in the sense of you've spoken about working with startups, you've spoken about building new teams and Phil just mentioned now leading a team of over 200 people. So different skills, different environments, different set of dynamics that's going on around that. 
tell us a little bit about your leadership yeah. style you know how has is it consistent throughout or have you had to change have you developed over the years just give us a little bit of insight into that well first of all has it developed i'll answer it that way around has it developed over time a- absolutely is it is it finished and complete no way <laughs> am i learning day in day out about what works and what doesn't absolutely even on a sunday with 15 right. <laughs> under 10s million percent but i think there are some consistent themes that naturally your your natural leadership you know will bring out and it's something that i've thought a lot about over the years and and i like to use lots of different tools i'm really into looking at tools to sort of you know give you senses to where your leadership style is and how that might have evolved over time um but I use those in a way to continue to get better at them, you know, and, and to get that feedback. But I think there are three bits um, that that I sort of, uh, sort of resonate with when I'm sort of leading broader groups of people. And I think the first one is that I'd class it as that sort of pioneering leadership space. So I love setting strategic visions in, you know, ambitions in that space and, and, starting to think about what could the future look like if we got behind it in a different way and i love that sort of pioneering style of leadership so that takes you know really clearly uh leadership communication it it requires you to engage quite deeply across your teams because in that way you need to foster that spirit and that belief um uh and engagement and empowerment for people to try stuff and and stuff over the years at Barclays, start to work stuff through. So, so that pioneering piece is really key for me. The second one is, is in that notion of connector, that connector leadership space. So, I think I be, I, you have to be, but I became, you know, good at connecting the organisation up and stakeholder managing at different levels, but also crucially within your team. So. And, and I go back to the big, you know, to what we're doing at the minute nationwide with mutual respect and respect spot starts small, which is our a, a current campaign that's going live for us at the minute, which is all about uh, young girls and playing football. And, um, and that respect starts small is something that is really key to me. So I want to hear all the voices of the members of the team coming up with ideas and really starting to get, you know, if it's the smallest idea, but they think there's something in it, I want to find a way for to get that out and, and then connect with them in a way that allows individuals to help and transition over time. So that pioneering connector. And then the third one for me would be the notion of, um, I am quite, I think I'm quite a creative leader. So I love challenging the status quo. You've probably I've probably used a couple of examples of that already. Dan, I love challenging the status quo. Um, I love, um, I, I love sort of, as I said before, I love being told, no way, you can't do that because it's been tried before and this happens. I love that sort of thinking around an idea creatively. And that's where, you know, the support of our agencies and the support of different thinking is, uh, and diversity of thinking is always so crucial. So pioneering, connecting, creative leadership, that's the sort of style. The values are then of my leadership are underneath that. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really Phil knows this. I'm really open, really honest. Uh, what is hugely important for me is inclusivity and giving everyone a voice. Uh, but uh, most of all, going back right back to the start of the conversation we had, you know, I'm a, I'm a lad effectively from the Lake District. Um, and you know, there's no point me pretending I'm anything else other than that. So that using that in a way that's truly authentic and getting the most out of people and relationships is something that gives me energy and hopefully gives the rest of my 
uh, team members' energy as well. So that would be the bits I'd call out, Dan. No, that's excellent. And you can just sort of hear as you're talking, just the values piece coming out as well, sort of leading through your values and just sort of setting that culture as well. A lot of what you described there, I can sort of visualize the culture that you're looking to set within the team. And I think all great leaders set a great culture. And I think, yeah, that's really that's really impressive what you're saying, because I think it's it's easy to talk about leadership as in the mechanics of what you do. But actually, when you're talking about how you do it and why you do it, it kind of goes to a different level. So, no, that was yeah. really excellent. Do you, just do you, uh, do you read books? Do you like reading books on leadership? I do. Yeah. I've just okay. finished reading Eddie Jones's book on leadership, actually. Which... Uh, have you? I've, I read that. I read that um, a <laughs> yeah. couple of months ago. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. isn't it? It, it is interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a conversation for off the podcast. I but think so. I've got yeah. a couple of books that I'll, I'll, I'll drop you an email about. I love that. that. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. think you'd really, you'd really enjoy it. A final question we ask all of our guests, and as I said, I'd like to talk longer, but you've got to get back to some work. Um, we ask all our guests this, and it's one of these questions that's just kind of stuck as we've gone through these 30-odd episodes. But what's one of life's complexities you would like to see made simpler? Oh my word! Well, I mean, on the on the more playful side of things, um, I'm a I'm quite a keen golfer as well. And any anything you can design to keep my drive straight, Dan, would be hugely helpful for that. Me, me too. Um, but I think the bit for me, I don't know what that thing is. If I'm honest, Dan, I'm going to give you a wishy washy answer. But my my life uh, at the minute, I've got two young kids that uh, and. A, family is everything to me so two young kids busy life my wife works and has a busy job and anything those a bit like you know those marginal gains of time anything that can help things become a little bit quicker through the day uh you know so the experience of booking trains and getting on a train or the experience of going to get a coffee and get everything that can drive marginal gains all the way through that will give me a bit more time in the evening with my family I will sign up to any day of the week really so it's not one thing but conceptually some sort of clever time machine that runs with me through the day Dan would be amazing if you can sort that out for me please well I think that's probably like the the biggest answer we've had like a a time machine I think right there we go I'm not promising we can do that but that's a great answer Lovely, lovely to talk to you today. That was absolutely brilliant. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Nice to see you both. Yeah, really great. Yeah. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did. So please do share it and kindly leave us a review. It really does mean so much to us. Thanks and have a great week.